The title of the lesson I debated about switching because I didn't want to put the emphasis on somewhere that I don't necessarily want it to be, but it still fits. The title is Jesus and Narcan. A little bit weird, but when we hear the word Narcan, we think of this, uh, what I would call a wonder drug that has saved countless lives uh, of those who have overdosed were either in some cases already dead or going to be dead because of a foolish mistake that they had made. And so we consider that there is one who can bring uh, those who are dead back to life. Uh, He is better than Narcan. He brings people back to life and doesn't leave them in the life that they once had and just resurrect them. He resurrects us to a new life. And he has saved countless more lives than uh, Narcan has. But we're thankful for Jesus. And we consider the wonderful thing he has done for us. And that is the focus of the verses that we get to today in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 3, uh, we had started this last week, and we see that the followers of Jesus are reminded that we are to live good and godly lives among all men. And in particular, you can get the sense that not just living good lives for all people, and you know, but it's, the point is that especially for non-believers so that we can be a witness to them and show our changed, changed lives and therefore proclaim the gospel even in how we live and our goodness. Um, and we'll see that a little bit later in the lesson here. We'll talk about it more. So we, we are to live good, godly lives among all men because we too had lived in the darkness. We're very aware of those who are lost and we want to shine the light into the darkness so we live good lives. There was a time when we were once no different from the lost around us. So the scripture that we went with last week and talked a lot about was verse 3. Well, we talked mostly about verse number uh, 1 and 2 that talked about the goodness that we should show, the gentleness and respect towards others. And then it says in verse number 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, we were very toxic. Uh, We were toxic towards others, toxic towards God. Uh, There was nothing good in us. Maybe we did some good things, but without Christ, we would be exceptionally terrible, filled with envy and malice and hate. And then we get to verse number four. So the point was, we were once this way. And then verse four starts with this wonderful word, but. So we were evil. We were dead in our sins. But, one of the greatest words that we have, and so we're going to take verses 4, 5, and and 6, and even mention uh, verses 6 and 7 kind of quickly, but we're going to look at these verses just a little bit at a time. On the outline, if you have it, I have the entirety of these verses listed here and underlined, but being the first one. And that's a great word, but. Things were bad, but something happened. 
Something changed. Somebody came along and did something about helpless us. But we were all lost. We were all evil. We were all doomed for hell. But something happened. And we find out what happened. The verse continues, verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. What wonderful words. Speaking of God, and it describes His kindness and love for mankind. His love for people. God is kind. He cares for everyone. That kindness and love appeared. And when I hear that phrase, when God's kindness and love appeared, I think of Jesus being born and set inside of a feeding trough. Jesus in the manger. That's when love showed up. That's when the but was needed. You know, we were lost and dead in sins, but Jesus came. Jesus was born. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So his kindness and love showed up in Jesus when he was born. But that kindness and love for the world was most manifest at the cross. So you can think about the history of the world. and You can think about things that people have done, motivated by love and done in love for others. But there is no greater display of love than what God did for us at the cross. That's when his love was made known. His love was manifest at the cross. His kindness was on full display at the cross. There Jesus took our sins upon him, suffered the punishment that we deserve, that you and I all, we all deserve the punishment. We all deserve the cross. We all deserve death. But Jesus took our place. He took our sins upon him. And the righteousness that he had has been given to us. Uh, to say that's kind sounds uh, um, a little bit lacking, doesn't it? That is true kindness. True love, love for all people. Notice it's his love for all mankind. God wants everyone to be saved. What wonderful kindness, what wonderful love. Um, he loves everyone. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So let's continue. So it says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. I want to talk about that word appeared. Um, it's an interesting word because the, um, the exact form of that Greek word as it's used there is only, it only appears one other time in the New Testament. The word is used a lot, but that, that exact tense and form or whatever is used only one other time. And it takes us right back to Titus Chapter 2, verse 11. Verse number 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. This is on uh, Paul's mind as he is writing to Titus. He's trying to get people to see that God has shown up. God's grace has appeared. 
And I want you to consider the context of Titus chapter 2 where this passage is given. You back up to verse number 9 and we're going to read that briefly here. But as we read through it, we're going to see that their slaves are to be an example of how we are all to live faithfully, adorning the gospel, uh, being zealous for good deeds. And uh, from this, you're going to kind of see this, the phrase come to life that I used last week is just annoyingly good, noticeably good. I don't know if I did a great job at that this week. It came to my mind a few times, and uh, then I'd kind of go back into living like I always do and just being kind of good, but we're going to still work on being annoyingly good, zealous for good deeds. The example for this comes to us under somebody who is a slave and they might be they might have a good master and be well treated and then in that case it might be easy to treat that person right and good but it also might be true because there is no distinction made here it also might be true that maybe they had a master who was not so kind in which case a lot of times if you have a boss have somebody over you who is not so kind, then maybe the human mind might say, well, if they're not so good, then I don't have to be so good to them. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus isn't like that. That's not the example he gives to us. And he is giving us a strong example with this idea of bond slaves, or just a slave, somebody who is owned by someone else. Verse 9 of chapter 2 in Titus. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not sh but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. You hear that? You know, this idea of not pilfering, that's the, that would be the easy one for me. This guy treats me like a jerk. Well, I'll show him. I'm going to sneak a little bit on the side. He doesn't even know I'm getting at him. You know, I'm going to show the man. That's not what Christians are to do. They're to be the exact opposite. Is to be, even when we are treated badly, we are to treat others in a good way. Treat them well, respectful, and kind. Adorning the gospel, adorning the doctrine of God. So as we live these lives when we're zealous for good deeds and doing good to others, even when they're not good to us, that is putting on full display how beautiful God's word is. That is us putting on display that Christ is real and he lives in us. This is a hard example to uh, consider because it's such a hard example to follow. Adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Now you can say that was, well, it was pointed to slaves. I don't know if that's pointed to me. But listen now, verse 11, as it continues, we'll read through 14. And we're reminded, and we're all brought into this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to 
all men. God wants to save everyone. Jesus didn't die only for me, only for us here. He died for everyone. He, salvation is brought forth to the entire world. God, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus or Christ Jesus. 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. <clears throat> And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. This is who God has created us to be. When we come to Christ, we're saved and we're brought into this wonderful new kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of light instead of the darkness. We're saved from that terrible darkness. So remember this idea of him appearing. That's a, that's, it, it changes everything. It's that but in the, pre, in the beginning of this verse. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, then on to verse number 5. He saved us. He saved us. Thinking back to verse 3, we were evil. But... He saved us. Here's the basic sentence is he saved us, but he saved us. We were lost, but he saved us. We were evil. We were rebellious. We were sinners. We were hopeless. But he saved us. He delivered us. Salvation. And I, I do I, I note on the outline here, past tense. He saved us. He did save us. He saved us. It's past tense. He has delivered us from evil. We were evil and now He has changed us. Everything's different. Everything's new now. And one of the things that is, I, I think can be a snare for us as Christians is we think of the glory of heaven and how beautiful it will be in the, to be in the presence of God. And we think, someday God is going to save me from this world and take me home. That's where I belong. I want to be there. And while I'm here, I'm just going to kind of make my way through. But boy, I look forward to being saved. No, He has already saved me. He has already delivered me. He delivered me from who I was as an evil person. He has washed my sins away and made me new. I am alive now. And yeah, there's a day when this flesh and blood will breathe its last and my heart will take its last beat. And I will be taken to the presence of God, to the place where Jesus has prepared just as he promised. And that'll be great. To be with the, the Lord is better by far. But don't forget... We are already saved. We have been delivered. And as you think back to verses 1 and 2 and then into 3, this is who you were, but now you're saved. That's the focus of Titus chapter 2 verses 11 
through 14 that we read, things were bad, but Christ appeared and he saved us. We're saved. So as you go through life, don't lose sight of heaven, longing to be in heaven, but also while you're here, don't lose sight of Christ and seeking to be like him. We are to live godly lives. Let's live such good lives that the gospel, the doctrine of God, is adorned in you. And that can only happen because you've been saved. You've been delivered from who you once were. So, but when the, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Let's talk a little bit about how this happened. Next part of the, the next phrase says in verse 5, Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. So he just makes the point, no one earns their way to heaven. No one earns their way to being declared holy and good and righteous, no longer evil. No one earns that. You can't do this on your own. It's not, you can't have the will and the desire to be standing perfect before God and say, here I am. Lord God, I know you want me. <laughs> uh, when I was young, I was like, I'm going to be the first perfect Christian. I think I've told you guys that before. I was like, I was, I was just wanting to be, all right, God, here I am. And I'd hear that preacher give the gospel invitation, the call to come give your life to Christ. And I'd be like, I'm not ready yet. I'm, I'm waiting until the day that I clean up all my sins, clean up my act, and then I'll come to Jesus and say, here I am. No. No one earns his way to heaven. No one can become righteous on their own, or else Jesus died on the cross for nothing. If you can do it, we don't need a Savior. But we need a Savior. We can't be saved by ourselves. When we're stuck in the miry clay, we need a Savior. So we're not saved on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteous, but according to His mercy. Verse 5. According to His mercy. Kindness and love came down to walk with us sinners because of His mercy, not because we're good. You know, Jesus... Uh, leaving the glories of heaven and coming down here, being born in that humble way, in that in the place where they kept the animals. That wasn't God saying, oh, you guys are so good. You're acting so right. I just want to be with you. No, that was mercy. That was God's kindness. That was God's love for all mankind. He loves us. And so he was willing to come down here and be with us. The light shined in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended him not. We didn't understand him. People didn't understand. But he has come and he did come to save us. So because he had this mercy for us, he provides for us the way. We know he went to the cross and died for our sins. And then there's a way that we can get into 
this. Uh, so notice in chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Salvation is brought to us, but how do we, how do we get that salvation? Not everybody's saved, right? So verse uh, 5 continues. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is how God saves us. So very, when we hear these words, I hope everybody is drawn back to a moment when you were washed, when you were renewed. That moment is baptism. That's when sinners are washed in regeneration. That's when we are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Two quick and simple passages. Acts 22, verse number 16, when Paul is being instructed on how uh, to be right with God. Acts 22, 16, Ananias tells Paul, having already taught him, he says, why do you delay? Get up. And be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. You want to be saved? You want to be right with God? Then be immersed into Christ. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. And also, so there's the, the idea I think you can see of the washing of regeneration. Now, it fits very much with what... Uh, what Jesus described to, uh, to in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Born again. Born into this new life. Regenerated. Um, and then we have Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the people realized they were guilty of the blood of Jesus. They were guilty of a great sin, and they wanted to know what they should do. How could we be saved? They said, what, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There's the washing, the cleansing. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this renewal that comes by the Holy Spirit, this new life, that's a beautiful, wonderful picture. And we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, beginning um, back, uh, actually was it last year, I believe. Uh, we talked about the wonderful work of the Spirit just as promised in the Old Testament. And the language that we have in verse number 6 of Titus Chapter 3 is a reminder to us of what the Spirit does in our life. So we're talking, as you, you think in particular about these, this verse, this, uh, he saved us. You know, to tie it into this idea of Narcan. You want to be saved, you're dead in your sins. Jesus is Narcan to us. He can raise us up from the dead. No longer guilty of our sins. We can be set free. We can be washed and regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit, we can have true life instead of being walking dead men in this life. The interesting thing, there is a difference between Jesus and Narcan. Because Narcan can only raise somebody back to life and get their heart beating, get their lungs breathing again. 
Our king can't give them a new life. And that person is in a, a awful way because before them is the choice still. How are you going to live? And most of them choose to continue such a sad thing. Continue to go back to those things. Not all. Some people are delivered from that terrible sin. But when we think about Jesus coming into our lives and washing us and regenerating us, he gives us new life. And we're filled with hope. We're filled with the Spirit of God. So there is a difference. Jesus and Narcan, they have some similarity, but man, Jesus is so much better than Narcan. Jesus gives us new life, a different life. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. Verse number 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit comes, connected with Jesus. Jesus sends the Spirit, it comes through Christ. The Holy Spirit is that water from the temple in Ezekiel 47. First half of that chapter talks about this wonderful picture that I hope we'll be reminded of. And in that picture, you'll see that there is water trickling from the temple, and then it goes forth and keeps getting larger and larger, becomes this mighty stream. And that stream ends up turning the desert into a forest, and the Dead Sea, or a sea with no life and no fish, it turns it into fresh water that is filled with life. The Holy Spirit takes what is dead and brings life. That's how God saves us. We, we rely upon as Christians. We, we were the dead ones, but the Holy Spirit has come into us. And now we are bearing fruit and we are alive for Christ. It's a wonderful picture. We must walk according to that Spirit. I do have, I forgot that I had a slide for verses 6 and 7. That Holy Spirit, it's poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We have a new life. We are fruitful. And I pray, Lord God, that we will be multiplying. The last verse, verse number uh, 7 that we'll be looking at, says, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So a couple of words here that I want to make a note on is this idea of justified and then the word hope. Justified. In Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I think different preachers have used that for a lot of years, that thought. You want to understand justification. It's the fact that, that we were once sinners, but now in Christ Jesus, since he took our sins away and we have received his righteousness to ourselves, it's like we've never sinned. We have been made perfect in Christ, only in Christ. Perfection doesn't mean we'll never fail again, but in Christ... We are made new. That Holy Spirit continues to work in us. We are being justified by His grace. So, so and that as it continues, 
uh, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that hope, when we talk about hope in the Bible, it's not, well, I hope I get to heaven. That's not our hope. Hope is like, hey, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus has done. That is a confident expectation. So in Jesus, it's justified, never sinned. Therefore, we have confidence. We have that hope of eternal life. Even when the body dies, the spirit continues on. The spirit that is made alive with the Holy Spirit. Our spirit coinciding, living with God, connected with him in that wonderful relationship. That is what we hope for. So this is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. You have the understanding of of God wanting everybody to be saved because he has saved us. We didn't deserve it, but he's done great things for us. So let us go out and live godly lives, being on display so that we adorn the doctrine of Christ. Let's invite all people to come and live according to this glorious gospel. We were lost, but he saved us. Give thanks to him today. And if there's anybody you've never given your life to him, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can get immersed into Christ and receive this washing of regeneration Have the Holy Spirit come and renew you, give you a new spirit, not like the old one. Have the Spirit of Christ in you. Let us all live according to that spirit. If anybody needs to respond today, please come as we stand and sing this song of encouragement.